0: Between 21 and 35 million people are subjected to forced labor or slavery in the world today. What can be done to stop the practice? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. Forced labor continues to be a serious problem on a global scale. It's found in developed and developing nations alike. It's highly lucrative as well, generating an estimated $150 billion within the private economy for illicit traffickers. On this and the following episode of the podcast, we're going to examine the problem and explore ways in which companies can ensure that their own supply chains are free of forced labor. That's not an easy goal to achieve, given the global and multi-tier nature of most supply chains today, but progress is being made. Today, we're speaking with Killian Moot, Project Director of Know the Chain at Humanity United. He's going to tell us about three new reports due out this summer that promise to identify and share best practices for protecting workers throughout the extended supply chain. The issue is becoming even more critical with new legal disclosure requirements being imposed in the U.S. and abroad. So let's learn how companies can address this endemic problem and put a stop to it. Here is my conversation with Killian Moot. Killian Moot, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Bob, so much for having me.
0: You're with an organization called Know the Chain. Would you first of all explain to us what is Know the Chain?
1: Yeah, Know the Chain is a project of Humanity United, a foundation based in California that works to address some of the world's most intractable problems. At Know the Chain, what we focus on specifically is the issue of forced labor in supply chains and what we are as a resource for investors and companies who are working to understand how best to address the problem of forced labor in supply chains.
0: Okay, well let's go from there and talk about some definitions here. You use the term forced labor, others use slavery or human slavery or trafficking, human trafficking. Just what are we talking about here in a modern day context? What is your definition of human slavery or forced labor?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question and something that we deal with quite frequently. The most common term that we like to use is forced labor. Uh, we like to use that term because it's backed up by the International Labor Organization definition. But really when somebody is using the term forced labor or human trafficking, what they're broadly talking about is an individual that is in some form of compelled force or compulsory labor that is working against their will for no pay or for pay that is simply subsistence pay which they actually don't have the ability to make their own free choices or will about where and how they work.
0: Okay, so we're distinguishing it from situations where we have abysmal working conditions, low pay and bad bad conditions at the site of a factory for instance, but not necessarily a forced situation. That's another topic for another day, right? That is
1: correct. Yeah. We are specifically talking about individuals that are in a situation of bonded or compulsory labor.
0: A lot of people profess surprise to learn that human slavery or forced labor or whatever you want to call it still exists to a great degree on the on the globe in the globe today. Just how serious and widespread is the problem in your estimation?
1: Estimates vary. I think what would shock most people today is to know that there are more people in the world today enslaved than at the height of the transatlantic slave trade. Obviously, there's more people in the world today as well, so that is a contributing factor for why we see a greater number of slaves today than when slavery was a a legal institution. Estimates vary. The ILO puts the estimate at about 21 million, but that range goes from 21 million up to as high as 35 million people enslaved in the world today. Uh, We generally use the ILO statistic uh, because it's a recognized convention and one that a lot of organizations Companies, governments subscribe to. So, our estimate that we use is 21 million people.
0: And where do you believe in the world today the problem is the worst?
1: It is an issue that is throughout the entire globe, really. And there are some regions of the world that have greater numbers and prevalence of slaves.
0: The reality is,
1: is that it virtually penetrates every type of business in the world today, every type of sector, and it, it, it operates globally. There are some regions of the world that have higher concentrations, but no organization, no country, no business is immune from the realities modern-day slavery. For example, the ILO estimates that in the private economy, human trafficking and forced labor generates about 150 billion dollars that are going to illicit traffickers through the form of exploitation of individuals.
0: I find it in fact surprising to hear that there is a significant problem in the so-called developed world. I saw a statistic from the Human Trafficking Foundation that believes there are up to 20,000 slaves in the UK Is that, in fact, the case in your estimation, that it's not just in the so-called developing world that we have a problem?
1: Yeah, it it is in our estimate that it does continue to happen in the developing world and in the developed world. In countries like the United Kingdom, the United States, their Western economies, we have stronger systems of rule of law. That said, forced labor, human trafficking continues to happen. And in these contexts, what generally happens is a worker will take a job believing that they are entering into a situation in which they will not be exploited, but they'll agree to some kind of terms where they find themselves in a form of debt, and that debt then becomes their bondage. And in those situations, an individual is working in a Western economy in a context where there are social safety nets in place, there is enforcement of law but yet they find themselves bonded to the individual who has brought them into the country to work.
0: Yeah, I imagine the problem does relate quite a bit to immigrants, illegal or otherwise, right? They find themselves in sort of indentured situations.
1: That is correct. That is a large prevalence. We do see it in domestic situations as well with individuals who maybe are serving and selling their bodies through sexual exploitation. But when it comes to companies in the private economy, we see it through subcontracting illicitly and workers who are largely not from that country's context, don't understand their rights, maybe are not literate, worry about things like illegal migration, but in many ways are actually protected by the legal system if they are in a form of debt bondage or indentured servitude, even if they are there as an undocumented worker.
0: Or they might even come to a country under what they believe to be an employment contract and then have their passport confiscated and be unable to leave. And does that come under your definition as well?
1: Yeah, that is correct. That is a common tactic used by traffickers to retain legal documentation of the individual worker. I mean, that, again... Bonds that worker in many ways to the employer. They They don't have the ability to leave the context because then they are without documentation. They are perceived to be there illegally even though they came through a legal visa process or a legal system. It's a tactic that is commonly used by traffickers. Another common tactic is those workers who are contracted or subcontracted, the contractee, the individual who recruited them into the country, will collect their wages, take a high percentage of the wages, and then distribute the remaining amount to the worker, which for the most part is not sufficient to cover their basic expenses.
0: Okay, so Know the Chain has collaborated with the Business and Human Rights Resource Center and Verite and Sustainalytics on a series of reports, new reports coming out this year that will identify and share best practices and policies that companies are using to protect workers and supply chains. Uh, talk to me a little bit about these three reports, and uh, one of them coming out pretty soon, right? What are they, and, and exactly what do they show, and, and what kind of research is involved there?
1: Yeah, what we've found to be the most effective way to identify this, the leading practices is to evaluate companies sector by sector, right? There are some practices that can be translated from one sector to the next, but for the most part, the best practices that can be implemented come from sectoral peers. So what we've endeavored to do is create a framework over the past year where we evaluate companies based on the public disclosure, the information that they're publicly reporting, uh, to identify what the strongest practices are for their sectors. Uh, and we'll creating that methodology, what we'll do is we'll evaluate the information. We will go to the individual companies in each one of these sector benchmarks, ask them additional questions to solicit other input in terms of what are the leading practices that they might have implemented to address the problem. And then we'll provide that information through these three reports. The first report will be on the information and communications technology sector. The second and third report, one will be on the food and beverage sector, and the third one will be on apparel and footwear. We strategically selected these three industries because they have a high prevalence and are at higher risk to the issue of forced labor in the supply chain for a variety of different reasons, uh, but we really want to focus in on these three sectors this year so that we can identify what are the leading practices and hopefully incentivize other companies within the sector to understand and adopt the most effective practices to prevent forced labor from happening.
0: Do you get the sense that any one of these sectors is more prevalent in terms of the use of human slavery than any of the others?
1: That's a really great question. Supply chains are so complex and incredibly dynamic, and every industry is different. I'd be hard-pressed to say, where is it more prevalent Um, because they each have their own kind of inputs, raw materials. And at every stage of production, risk might look different. There was a study done recently where 71% of the companies polled so that they believed they had a likelihood that slavery existed in their supply chains. So it's it's an endemic issue for global corporations. Corporations ranging from Nestle to Patagonia, have admitted to issues of forced labor in their supply chain and not only documented where they've happened, but publicly reported on the ways in which they've worked to remediate the issue and ensure that it doesn't happen again. So really in the global context, any multinational company has some level of risk. And really what we're pushing companies to understand is how do you appropriately understand what that risk is for you based on where you're producing, what your supply chain looks like, and how do you appropriately address it?
0: One of the highest profiles instances of of human slavery or forced labor that we've seen in recent years is that of conflict minerals in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Does that fall into the information communications technology sector, or is that something that's not one of these three things that you're looking at initially?
1: We're not explicitly looking at conflict minerals, but what we are asking companies within these three sectors is what steps are you taking to beyond your final stage, your, your first tier to address risks in your supply chain. And, and so within this evaluation for ICT, approaches to address conflict minerals would be a, a, a leading practice example that we would point to if a company has a robust process or is, is doing deep engagement on that specific issue. One of the things that we acknowledge and know about the issue of forced labor is that it often happens in an opaque environments. Uh, it happens beyond the first tier. And So really what that means for companies that operate as multinationals with global supply chains and and supply bases that extend throughout the world is to have a better sense of not only your final stage, but your inputs and your raw materials. And a part of our evaluation will look at what steps are companies in these three sectors taking to appropriately identify where their risks might be and, and track or trace through their supply chain to appropriately weed out. Uh, the illicit actors that are acting against the company's own ethics and own standards. For the most part, the majority of global companies today have explicit policies and standards that prohibit the use of forced labor. That said, as you look at the implementation of those policies and as a company becomes more segmented in its supply chain and, and it's farther away from where work is happening, the risks increase significantly. And so one of the things that we're trying to identify is what are the leading practices out there that help companies get a better sense of what production looks like beyond that first tier, beyond that direct supply base.
0: So right now, you're basing it entirely on what these companies tell you that they're doing,
1: right? Yeah, that is correct. And, 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 what, they're, and what they're
0: disclosing also. Yes,
1: and what they're disclosing. And a part of that is based on this emergence over the past five years, really, of a global tapestry of legal disclosure requirements that are impacting multinationals today. Started in 2010 with the California Transparency and Supply Chains Act through all the way last year to the UK Modern Day Slavery Act. And then in between there, we've had Dodd-Frank, the Conflict Minerals Reporting Requirements. We've had things like the Executive Order 13627, which requires federal contractors to take specific steps to address forced labor in their supply chain. So we're really, we're seeing this broad requirement on companies now to report on these issues. And so what we're trying to do is fill in the gap about what does good reporting look like and what what can companies do to appropriately address their risks. And by virtue of doing that, we hope that will make the burden of fulfilling these reporting requirements now uh, a little less burdensome because a company presumably would have a volunteer way of disclosing that would align with all the the regulatory requirements for reporting.
0: Again, in the case of the conflict minerals rule, which is simply a disclosure rule and not a a mandated effort by SEC to stop the use of conflict minerals in, in products, A lot of companies, at least initially, have come up with the category of conflict undeterminable, which the Dodd-Frank law permits them to do, at least for now. Um, I'm wondering in a larger sense what kind of a grade you would give companies to date as to how good a job they are doing in, number one, detecting the presence of forced labor in their supply chains and, number two, doing something about it.
1: I would say that companies are are improving their understanding and 5 years ago the, the general tendency was to either accept ignorance or woefully be ignorant that this problem might affect you uh, today because of these reporting laws, because of the things like the exposure of forced labor in the Thai supply chain, Thai seafood supply chain, or that in the contract manufacturing of electronics in Malaysia. Companies are, are acknowledging that this is an issue that's in their supply chain. So in that sense, I would give companies a high grade for waking up to the reality that's a problem. Uh, and acknowledging that this is something that they do need to engage with, and they they do need to acknowledge that their their risks extend beyond simply their their direct contracting into maybe their inputs or their raw materials or the illicit subcontracting contracting that happens. In terms of steps taken, it's still an early road. John Ruggie, who was the special envoy to the United Nations for the human rights and business reporting system for human rights, ha- likes to say that we're at the end of the beginning. And I think that is very much the case in this situation. We're at the end of the beginning. We now know that these issues exist for global corporations. The big next question to answer is what is the appropriate steps that companies should be taken to address the issues within their supply chain.
0: Okay. Well, let's go with that then. Up to this point, what have you learned from these reports so far that could, you could extrapolate in the form of some best practices for companies to do that they should now be taking in order to address this critical issue?
1: Yeah, one big issue that we see in terms of increasing risk is the use of um, labor brokers in supply chains. In, in a global world today, labor is becoming more and more fluid, uh, moving from one production region to another, moving from one low-skilled region to another. And so if you're a company that might have a supply chain that depends on recruited labor, the question you should be asking is, what is the appropriate level of recruitment fees that workers should be charged? Should they be charged recruitment fees at all? Or if they are, what is your responsibility as a employer, the end user of the labor, to ensure that those recruitment fees aren't excessive and aren't putting that population at an increased risk to forced labor? Uh, So that's one area that we see are emerging. We're seeing companies like HP sign up to no fees, explicitly prohibiting the use of recruitment fees. We're seeing companies like Apple reimburse up to millions of dollars in excessively charge or illicitly charge recruitment fees of workers, essentially acknowledging that when workers have to pay for work, it puts them in a situation of risk. So that's one area that we point to. Another area that we point to is in addition to doing risk assessment, companies evaluating risk of a supplier or of, a, of a country in which they might go into before going into the production region, um, and that's a great way and great tactic for a company to consider as they're looking at what elements might, might drive risk. And then another really important element here is auditing. Social auditing has been around for, for decades, and it's a common tool that companies use. But any good social auditor uh, can't capture all the issues that might exist in a workplace. So increasingly, companies are utilizing things like direct worker communication tools, worker hotlines, other means to engage the worker uh, to ensure that when the when the auditor isn't there or if the auditor doesn't catch it, the individual still has a way to voice a complaint or highlight an issue that they might be aware of.
0: So a lot of this stuff might be included in a supplier code of conduct uh, right up front in supplier negotiations and be the basis for a relationship with a supplier, correct?
1: That is correct. And some of those elements – are upfront in the contract another element that we're seeing that's important in terms of standards and, and setting the tone with suppliers is this element called cascading the standard so if you have a supplier and you have specific requirements that prohibit the use of forced labor or require that they ensure that workers aren't charged excessive recruitment fees then what you should also require your supplier that they turn to their suppliers and ask the same thing it's another tactic or step that a company can take that in some way attempts to cascade their own standards and their own commitment to preventing forced labor from happening down their supply chain, down their long supply chain. Because every multinational company today uh, has a very complex supply chain. Ultimately, it looks more like a supply web than a chain itself. And so how do we take steps to ensure that workers are protected?
0: But that's the tricky part, isn't it? For instance, I mean, getting up those multiple tiers to the raw material stage, for instance, in the case of cotton from the field to the mill, Mm. conflict minerals from the mine to the smelter, that's a whole other issue, is it not? And how good a job do you think companies are doing in achieving the visibility way up at that stage that they can really determine whether forced labor is happening or not?
1: Yeah, and and that is the the holy grail is a a way to completely track one supply chain from final stage all the way upstream to final stage or to the input level in in raw materials. What we're seeing is the emergence of and the strengthening of position of industry groups because some of these issues, whether they're raw materials or their inputs, they allow for pre-competitive dialogues uh, within industries. Where it's a collective action is really encouraged, and actually, a collective action among industry peers who normally are competitors actually is necessary to to really push deeper in. So, for those industry groups like the Electronics Industry Citizenship Coalition, the EICC, for the ICT sector, those types of groups are emerging and are are becoming more prevalent and more important because collective action will be necessary if we are going to move from this current stasis that we're in where we focus on final stage into raw materials and inputs
0: you sound optimistic to some degree is that correct
1: i'm very optimistic Uh, i like to joke that i'm an external optimist internal pessimist i do think that (laughs) we can address this issue and i think the progress that we've seen the reality is is that the first step is that you have to admit that you have a problem in any situation and we're there now Uh, we're acknowledging that this is an issue. Companies are coming forward and reporting where they're finding a problem. That doesn't mean that it isn't continuing to occur or that the prevalence isn't high. It means that we're at least acknowledging that there's some issues that we need to begin to address collectively. Um, And we're taking steps and we're addressing it, it, but it is a long way to go. We have a long way to go before we create a global work environment where Uh, workers are free to choose their form of employment, and they don't find themselves in a situation of bonded labor.
0: So as I assume, we'll be looking for that first report this summer, which will focus on about 20 companies, and and that will be your information and communications technology sector report. We'll link to that when we get information on that, as well as subsequent reports and keep following the efforts of Know the Chain in this effort. But in the meantime, Killian Mood, I want to Thank you so much for being with us today to tell us about your progress toward the elimination of forced labor and human slavery from the supply chain. Thank you very much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much, Bob.
0: That was my conversation with Killian Moot of Know the Chain, talking about what companies are doing to stop the practice of forced labor in global supply chains. See you next time.